You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. The real title of this is Stop Pretending to Follow Christ. That's the real title. Stop Pretending to Follow Christ. You'll probably walk out of here hating me, but I hope you love Jesus more. Because what we're looking at in Luke chapter 14 is Jesus said some hard things, right? Like he said some difficult, challenging things. This is one of them. But I think that as we look at it, as we read it, as we hear what God is saying to us, I think in, in understanding this, it's going to free you in a way to live for Jesus that maybe you've never really experienced before, right? Like, if we know the gospel is an event that happened, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's wrath poured out on Christ for our sin on the cross, raised him from the dead, he ascended, the spirit comes, moves in his people. Like if we believe the gospel, this good news, this event for you, most of the time that's where it ends, right? It ends with, this is the good news, do you accept Christ as Savior? And you, you do, and then what do you do? Then we just come to church, try to read the Bible, understand it, and try to live a good life. And what I'm submitting to you this morning is God's not called you to live a good life, to be a good person necessarily. God's called you to something else. And I think if we can just learn and slowly inch forward in this and inch into it, I think we'll find great freedom from our even own ideas of what our life's supposed to be like. So that's my setup, the hard sayings of Jesus um, I was reading about uh, this exploration. Um, you know, this is like a couple hundred years ago. There was this British ship and had 138 men. And I think this guy's name was like Winston, maybe, Captain Winston, something like that. Sorry, I don't know all the details. And what they were doing is they were going to go explore Antarctica, right? This forgotten wasteland they didn't know. It's really just like this floating piece of ice down there. And they were going to go down there. And they're in the Empire of Britain, and they have this big ship. And and what they did was, is they loaded their ship up with all these luxuries, right? I got to have my tea. You know, if you're British, you have to have your Earl Grey tea in the morning. Got to have your biscuits. And they, they loaded this ship with all their luxuries, not anticipating how cold it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be in Antarctica. So you got 138 men with this captain, and they sail down. They're the first to do this. And they're kind of lost. And they get down there, and they realize they don't have enough warm clothes. They realize they don't have enough food, that, that all the Earl tea in the world is not going to keep them warm and fed for this journey of a lifetime. And they get down there, and they realize they're lost. They don't know where they are. They have no supplies except for the luxuries of life that ultimately cannot give them life in this situation. All right, you see where I'm going, right? All 138 people, men on this ship, died. The, later expeditions would come down, and they would find 20 people here. 10 people here, parts of people there, right? Like they were just strewn apart. They had, they literally suffered and died in the Antarctica because they didn't prepare in advance and know what was expected of them in order to enter into this unknown land. This is huge applications for the Christian life. Now, I set that up. We'll come back to that. We'll round, we'll round the wagons back to that in a minute. So Luke chapter 14, Jesus is teaching. He just teached on, he healed a man on the Sabbath, which was a no-no. But God always works. He doesn't wait on man. He works because this is his nature. Then he talks about this parable of the wedding feast. He's painting a picture of heaven. Like, heaven is for everyone, right? 
Like all people are welcome in the church of God. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with our own sin and realize, Lord, I have to submit myself to your will and your ways, even if it's tearing the Band-Aid off and it's going to hurt. Even if I don't feel like this is the right thing to do. If we hold up the word of God as God's revelation to us to this day and we submit to it, we have to take all of it, not just portions of it. And so he shares this parable of the wedding feast and all are invited, right? And they come in and he shares this parable of the great banquet and the, the guy's setting up this great banquet and all the important people are too busy to come. And so what does he do? Go out to the marginalized people and bring them in. Like a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, right? Like God loves marginalized people. He loves broken people, messy people, people the world's forgotten and said, you're not worth anything. He loves those people and he invites them to the table, to his table. So Jesus is teaching this. Then he says this, right? Because we love to hear those stories, don't we? We love to hear how good and loving God is. But sometimes it comes at the cost, and Jesus shares this. So let's look into Luke chapter 14, because now there are great crowds, verse 25 says. Now great crowds accompanied him. This is Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, all right, like he's, you know, all the great crowds, he's like, yeah. Like, you know, like the catcher of the Iowa Cubs. Like he turns and he sees the crowds. So the Cardinals blew it yesterday, just be honest. <laughs> Up five to one. This no-name, triple-A catcher from the Iowa Cubs comes in and blasts a, is, is this the first hit? First home run. Grand slam, ties the game, and then Baez hits a solo shot in the eighth, and then they close it out in the ninth which I was surprised because they have stroke pitching and he, we usually tear him up. This pitcher, or this catcher, just on a side note, I know you're like, what is he talking about? Just go YouTube. What's his name, Jesse? Taylor? Uh, Chris, Taylor. Chris Taylor? Just trust me. Just, just YouTube him and this short little video clip of him in the minor leagues is hilarious. It's awesome. I'm a fan. That's all I'm saying. Not a fan of yesterday, but I'm a fan of him. How do we get there? Okay, because great crowds. Jesus turns to the great crowds. Okay. He's teaching, and then all of a sudden there's all these people, and he's like, Wah. and he turns to the great crowds that accompany him, and he said to them, listen to this, you're not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. He says, if anyone comes to me, because you're coming to me because I'm telling you these great stories, and I'm feeding you, and like I'm Jesus, and you love me. And he says, if you come to me, listen to what he says, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Whoa. We just like read past that most of the time. Like, didn't Jesus say, you've heard to hate your enemies. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Didn't he say that? So how can he say, if, if you come to me, you've got to hate everybody, even, even yourself. You've got to hate your own children. Hate your, okay, brothers and sisters, we can, we can make a little, you know, Hate your mother and your father, your daughters, your sons, your children, your very self. Like, how could Jesus, what is he saying when he's saying, if you come to me, you, in essence, need to hate everyone else. Didn't he say we're supposed to love our enemies, right? This is what Jesus is saying. First point, I don't have it up there, but I'm going to tell you this. To be, this is about being a disciple of Jesus. Now, what we want to establish in Echo Church is we want to establish a culture of followers of Jesus, 
and not just nominal believers. Right? Like, people aren't going to come here because we have three steps to succeed at work in Jesus' name. Like, like you know, we, we talk about, like, you're, you come here to learn how to die. Like, Lord, I want to nail my sin to the cross and trust in your way, not my way. That's not a popular message, in case you have heard. Jesus is saying, man, if, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a disciple of me, if you come to me, you got you to gotta hate everything else. What does he really mean by that? He doesn't literally mean, like, hate them. The word there actually means to love less. Okay, now, I would say parents, the greatest picture you can give to your children is that you love God more than you love your spouse. I would also say, parents, like, the greatest picture you can give to your kids is not that you love them more than you love your spouse, but that you love God more than them. Like, we have to get this, this priorities in order. God has to come first in our life. He has to be of utmost importance in all things. Now, granted, we fail at this miserably all the time, but we have to continually reorient our lives saying, Jesus, you're better. You, whatever the circumstances are, you are better, and I need to reestablish you in your throne. Not that he's fallen off, but in our hearts, we have to place him there. And then from there, everything else fits in order. I've seen people get, get God right, and I've seen them get everything else wrong, right? Like, I see a lot of parents worship their children, right? Like, we elevate their success in school and athletics and social clubs, whatever it is, in their own house, right? Like, they're the king of the, the castle, and we have to, like, stop that. The relationship in a marriage is more important than a relationship with the kids. It's important, but that has to come first, okay? God has to come first, and Jesus is saying this. He's saying, listen, families, he even said, I've come not to, to bring peace, but to bring the sword, to divide fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, right? Like he said, listen, when you come to Jesus and you follow Jesus, you seek him and you find him and you follow him, it's like, what we're doing. oh, seek, follow, find, seek, follow, love. Like, when you do that, it means that relationships are going to have tension in them because some people won't understand why you are even here this Sunday morning. Right? Like, parked our cars over there, and then the lady's like, hey, are you guys parked over here? You need to, um, I got people coming. And I'm like, oh, sorry, we'll move them. And I was talking to her, and she's like, what are you guys doing? Echo church. Like, so we have a church. I said, we have a church. She's like, oh, are you doing something big? I'm like, well, we're glorifying the king of glory. <laughs> king of kings, lord of lords. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, we're doing something big. We're meeting with the creator of the universe, right? Like, but you see, like, people don't understand that. So when you reorient your life and put God first, like, so when you go to work and you have those levels of integrity and you take those steps and people are like, just take the pen, man. Take the pen from work. No one cares. And you're like, it's not my pen. It's work's pen. And if I took it, I'd be stealing that seems so little and insignificant, but I'm telling you, it's huge. That stuff is huge. Oh, well, I just told half the truth. Well, you lied then. All right? A half truth is a lie. It's not the full truth, so if it's not the full truth, it's a lie. Ouch, right? Like, that's like, ooh. 
Because we want to honor God and put him first, this is what he has to come first in all things to the point where it will cost us relationships. It will cause you persecution and suffering. And I'm saying to you, embrace suffering, embrace, embrace persecution. Say, listen, I want, to, I want to glory in my suffering for Jesus because you are worthy. The, the disciples found it worthy to suffer for Jesus. When they got beat for preaching about Christ, they walked out of there celebrating that they were worthy to suffer alongside Jesus. And that's not something you hear lately in our culture, in our context. And I'm telling you, the more we learn to embrace it and the amount of suffering you go through pales in comparison to Christians that are being killed right now for their faith. Like they, if they had a Bible, they would take a chapter and everyone would memorize a chapter and because the authorities would come and pull the Bibles and burn the Bibles, but they would read it and memorize it. So when they gathered as a church, they could just speak it because they memorized it. I've probably got like 20 Bibles. If you need one, let me know. I'll give you one of my leftovers. Right? Like this is such a luxury. So the suffering that you and I walk through pales in comparison to what the world is going through. But it's not to say that you don't suffer because relationships matter. And when someone gives you a hard time because you're trying to follow Christ and like, but I know you. Yeah. And God knows me too and he loves me, right? And he's not done with me. And he's working on me. And I know I screw up. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm trying. And by the grace of God, he's, he's working in my life. I picked up a book recently um, on one of my trips. Up, I was like, I'm going to listen to a book on this cool car that, you know, connects to my phone. I really want one of those, man. They're sweet. By Eugene Peterson. And it's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he was quoting someone else. I forget. It wasn't Nietzsche. It was one of those guys. Long obedience. In the, what does that mean? Long obedience in the same direction? It means that we have to have a long game mentality towards our faith in Christ that we can't just look in the moment because we look in the moment, man, everything crumbles down on us. But if we're looking at eternity, at the end of our life, however long that is, it's a long road of obedience. That's how God's perfecting you. He can't make you who he needs you to be by giving you a life of ease and comfort. But Jesus is better. And we have to remember that. And so Jesus is saying, if you don't hate, love less the people in your lives, your family. If you don't love them less than you love Christ, he's saying, that's what has to happen to follow me. We have to get those things in order. Matthew 10, 37. I think I have this marked. These, these are multiple parables in here, but Matthew 10, 37. This is where Jesus talks about bringing the sword, right? And he says this, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Which leads to our next point, right? So we'll move on. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we pick up in Luke chapter 14, after he just tells you all, you've got to hate everybody, love me. If you're going to be, come to me, love them less, love me more. I mean, the, the, John the Baptist said this in John 3.31. He said, oh, that, that Christ may increase and I may decrease. Like, we long for that. And so then he says this after he 
lays this out for them. Right? He said, cannot be my disciple. Even his very own life, you cannot be my disciple if you don't love God most. Man, that's just a hard thing. Then he says this, verse 27, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Because he's literally asking you to pick up a cross beam and walk around with it. No, he's not. But he's saying, we have to take on the aspect that I'm willing to die to myself, like Christ died for us to carry this cross. We bury the cross and follow Christ. Mark 8, 30, uh, 34. Let me, let me switch over here real quick. The Bible is so great at interpreting the Bible. Do you know that? Mark 8, verse 34. Jesus calling the crowd, right? And with his disciples, he said to them, like all the crowds there, and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, it's an interesting take that the disciples have. And, and they asked Jesus, in one of these accounts, and he's laying this out, and he says, like Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? You know, like, what do we get out of it? We left everything. Like, we can't discount what it took the disciples when Jesus called them, what it meant to them. Like, he, he sees Peter and Andrew out fishing with their dad. He's like, yo, you're fishing for fish? You know, like, you want to come fish for men? they're like, they look at each other like, yeah, boom, drop the nets and go. Like, we, we think like, oh, it's just that easy, right? It was not that easy. Like, this was their livelihood. They have been overlooked and, 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 and passed over by many other rabbis before Jesus. Like, the ultimate goal for a Jewish, per, Jewish man was that you would have the whole Torah memorized, the first five books. You would know it by heart. And then if you were the top of the class, you'd get to do, you'd come under the teaching of another local rabbi in the synagogue, and you would learn to be a rabbi. And so the whole goal for you was to be a rabbi, to be a teacher of Israel. This was the ultimate, this is the dream job. And so they would pursue this. And so we know that Peter and Andrew, they were overlooked. They didn't make the cut. They weren't good enough. They didn't pass the tests. And what's interesting is, when a rabbi turns about the age of 30, that's when he calls disciples to himself. Right? Like Jesus was being prepared by the Holy Spirit, and we don't have all these details. And then he enters ministry at 30, and what does he do? This is, this is what all the rabbis did. When they were 30, they called other young, best of the best to come follow him. This is what the apostle Paul did. He was the best of the best. And when he got called to follow a rabbi, he did. In fact, the word rabbi means the dust of the dust of the teacher, basically. What it means is, as you walk so close, you live with them, you breathe with them, you eat with them, you're around them all the time, like you live with them. That the dust of the rabbi would actually transfer onto you. That's how close you were to them, right? This is the picture of a, of a teacher of Israel. And so Jesus sees Andrew and Peter, and he calls them to follow him, and they just like dropped their nets. They dropped their livelihood. They dropped, this is my dad's business, this is how we provide for our families. And I don't even think they had families at this point. I think they were young men, teenagers maybe, late teens. I don't know, but I'm just thinking they probably are. And Jesus calls them and they drop everything to follow him. It's basically saying, dad, 
like the prodigal son, I don't want your inheritance. I'm going with him. And they gave up everything. And so we have to understand that what it cost the disciples to follow Jesus was great. And what does Peter ask him? He says, Lord, we've, we've left everything to follow you. We've given up everything, our livelihood. I mean, I don't even know if my dad will still talk to me, right? Like when, when, the, when he's saying this about mothers and, and fathers, I think they're saying, yeah, yeah, that, that could probably have been real to them. Because now who's going to carry on the legacy of dad's fishing operation? Bubba Gump? Lieutenant Dan? And Jesus says this to them. He says, I tell you, you will be rewarded a hundredfold. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And what does that mean? Does that mean your best life is now? Every day is a Friday? Oh, don't you wish? I actually don't wish. I wish every day was a Saturday. Because Friday, you still have to work. Is Jesus saying you'll have mansions? You'll have Teslas? Car, come. Those are even cooler than the car I had. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's saying, listen, he says, store up for riches in heaven that moth and rust don't destroy. That right now in our lives as we pursue Christ, you're storing up treasures in heaven and one day you'll get to glory in God's glory and he will bless you beyond what you could ever imagine. The mansion that you live, you'll live in in heaven will be like anything this earth could ever put together because it's built by God. Jesus went there to build. He's a carpenter. He left to go to heaven. To, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? Like, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? They left everything, and so he calls us. If we're going to follow Christ, that we bear the cross. Bearing the cross means I embrace suffering. I embrace shame. I embrace the, the chance that someone might reject me because I am following Jesus to the best of my ability by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit. It means we're going to do the right things. We're going to choose to do the right things. And then the last thing is that we relinquish everything. I'm going to jump down because we'll come back to this. He says in uh, verse 33, he says, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Like, that is hard saying, isn't it? What does he mean, renounce all that he has? It means that we have to quite white-knuckling the things that we feel give us purpose and meaning and joy in this life that only last for a moment if the Lord indeed pulls them away. Um, I'll share a story of uh, one of the things in my life, and I, I still wrestle with these things, not just this thing in particular, but other things, right? Like I'm very self-centered, very selfish, very Rob-centric. I have issues. Pray for me. Counsel me. When I was younger, I was fortunate enough to play golf with my dad when I was five. And I got to play with him all the time. And I got pretty good, and I got to play through high school. I even got to college and play in college. And this was my dream. Yeah, God, I'll serve you. I want to buy my mom a gold Jaguar. <laughs> right? Like, that was really something I wanted to do. I had goals written down. Like, I had pursued this. This was the most important thing to me. I could care less about school. I don't remember the classes I even took. And at this conference I went to on a side note, I met one of the guys that was planning in Kansas City. He went to the same school I went to. 
I was like, dude, did you play, ba- you play basketball? I'm like, I played golf. Like, did you have Coach Fred A. Pullman? He's like, no. I'm like, oh. It's like, I mean, I don't know. Oh, he's probably gone. I'm like, oh, no. Coach Fred A. Pullman, six foot six, white, bright white hair, mutton chops, big man, basketball coach and golf coach. And he's like, oh, that's his name on the gym. I'm like, yeah, well, he won a national championship that year. He better, I mean, you know, he was like my coach. We didn't win, but they did. But like, golf was like my life. And then the Lord called me into ministry. I'm not going to share that story with you about how that happened. I, come talk to me afterwards. And I had, to, I had to give this up. This was important to me. This was my life. This was my dream. And I had to let it go. Looking back, that's the easy thing to do because golf's a terrible sport. Um, <laughs> Mark Twain says it's a, a good walk ruined. Um, <laughs> but we like it. <laughs> And I had to give this up, right? And that wasn't easy. I'm telling you, that wasn't easy for me to do. And I think it's easier, though, than some of the things that I struggle to give up now to follow Christ. You know, like, man, reading the scriptures every day or pull out YouTube videos, right? See how many Facebook likes or Instagram likes you got? Or then praying with my wife, praying with my kids reading a parenting book so I can parent my kids better so they love me more. Like There, there are things that to, to follow Jesus, it's costly. He's saying you have to relinquish everything. Are we willing that when we pray at the end of our service and we open our hands up like this, and like, Lord, have your way, and we hold our hands like this because I, I can't hold on to anything. Would we do that? And so I don't want to skip this part, and we'll close it up with this. Jesus shares these stories after the first two, and then the last one, he says, relinquish all that you have. He says, he says, listen, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I remember in Mexico, on a mission trip, I saw a house, and when down there, they don't get loans. So when you get money, you go buy materials. And there was a house with just a foundation, cinder block foundation. And this was like a luxury we would build houses in literally like three days down there. Cinder block. And he would come over and help us and go work on his house. And when he gets money, he would build this house. And if today, if we said, oh yeah, I'm going to go build a house. And you didn't sit down and roll through your finances. And can I afford this? And can I, you know, contract this out? And can we find a piece of property and all this stuff? If you did this and you didn't count the cost and you're like, you started building the foundation and it just sits there for years. Like, I've seen these. You've probably seen these. You're like, what are they doing? Why didn't they finish the house, you know? My kids often hear, oh, I worked on, dad worked on that house. Oh, dad worked on that house. He's saying, listen, it's foolish not to count the cost. And then he goes on and he says, otherwise, uh, or let's pick it up in um, verse 31. He says, or what king, right, going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't just jump into Jesus without understanding what the full implications are. Like, this is probably against everything you've probably heard, right? Like, I was listening to Bot Radio one morning, and one of the preachers, and I love him, but he said, just ask Jesus into your heart. You ever heard that? 
And I'm like, man, I started thinking about that. Where does it say that in the Bible? Like, I couldn't find the reference. Have, could you find the reference where it says, ask Jesus into your heart? I know Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart and, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Maybe, maybe that's the stretch, but I've never seen where it says, just ask Jesus into your heart. Why is that? Because Jesus has to come and wreck your heart first. And then as he's doing something in you, you're like, what does this mean? What is he calling me to? Like, if all it is is bowing your heads, closing your eyes, if you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand. If that's all that it is, we're not helping people fully understand and counting the cost. This means death so that you can find life. This means that you're going to have to make choices that are going to go against every impulse you have about your life in order to follow Christ. It may even mean that suffering is going to be the journey of your life until the Lord come, comes back and completes you. It may mean that you have to give up the dreams that you have had about what your life should be. You know what I'm saying? It, it may mean that I have this idea of being successful in a 401k and a 700 credit score and cars that run and heated seats and vacations three times a year. Like, like you may have to give that up. You may not, but, but you might. Like, if that's becoming more important than Christ, if he's saying, for my sake, are we going to relinquish this for the kingdom of God? Are we going to count the cost? Because God comes in and he wrecks your life. I'm not trying to beat you up, but I'm trying to give you hope. How does this set us free? It sets us free from knowing that we live for a different kingdom. We live for a different hope. That the best things this world offers is scratching the surface of the joys of the riches of heaven that God has for us. Like, it's hard because we live now. We live in the temporal. We live in the flesh and blood, and we have real concerns. But we have to start setting our minds on things that are above, on the promises of Scripture, that you in Christ are an inherited son and daughter of him. He's made you an inheritance. Like you received the inheritance that you did nothing to deserve, but Jesus accomplished for you. That's an amazing picture. He's building a house. He'll set a crown on you. Probably a little crown, but he'll give you a crown. Right? Like we give our little kids, oh, here's a little crown. He's preparing a place for you. And if it means that all of my life, I'm constantly shedding things that bring me even in an instant, a hope that's not as great as the kingdom, then, then I have to give those up. But it frees us from not having to live for what the world says and the Joneses say. There's no Joneses in here, is there? <laughs> it frees us from having to live up to a standard and a culture that says this is what life is supposed to be. Um, Discipleship and following Christ. What he's, he's saying, he's saying, discipleship is a series of deaths. It's perpetual dying, right? Does that make sense? Like, it's a per, like sometimes we really fail at dying to ourselves, but it's a, it's a, discipleship is a series of deaths, perpetually dying to ourselves. It's that all our relationships must take second place to Jesus. Our first loyalty must be to Christ. He's number one. And everything else needs to fall in place. Um, 
I feel like I share the same stories over and over and over. And I'm going to end with this because I want you to understand that it does cost you something to follow Jesus. But it's absolutely worth it. And it's more freeing than what the world, the world is enslaving you. And Jesus came to set the captives free. And so he gives us freedom in him. And um, John Piper tells a story, and you can go listen to it. It was at the 2000 Passion Conference in Memphis, Tennessee in the outdoor. He was old then. He's even older now. And we kind of named Piper after him. (laughs) Christine says, is that the old guy? I'm like, yeah, it's the old guy. And he shares this story. And I'm going to end with this. And I've got this book. And if you want it, you can have it. Because I picked it up at Goodwill for a dollar. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. Right? Like, I feel so burdened for people that are Christian. And I'm not saying they're not saved, but they're Christian. But they're living for themselves. And they're going to get to the end of that day. And I think they're going to realize this was way more important than all my pursuits. And Jesus so graciously is going to love them into his kingdom. Like, I know. I know, right? And he tells a story, and it's like Sue and, Sue and Bobby Joe, right? You know, and they retired, and they retired early at 55, and I'm sorry if you heard this story. It's a good story, so we're going to share it a lot because we need to be reminded. And they retired at 55, and they're living down on the beach in a beach condo. They don't have to do any work. They walk out onto the beach, and all they do is they spend their every day in their evening going out and collecting shells. And this is what their dream for the rest of their life, the next 20, 30 years of their life, is to go and collect shells on the seashore until they grow old and die. And then there's like Thelma and Louise. That's not their name. But they go down in glory. <laughs> These two older women, they're retired, and they're, one's a nurse and one does something else, and they go over into another country in Africa, and they're going over there to serve the least of these. And they're bringing uh, health needs to the people that need health needs. They're bandaging people. They're helping people. And they're in their car, and I imagine it's a big 1972 Oldsmobile convertible like Thelma and Louise. And they're driving, and the brake line goes out. And they're like in their late 70s, early 80s, and the car goes over the cliff, and they die. And he's, he says, that's not a tragedy. Like, that seems like a tragedy. He says, that's not a tragedy. A tragedy is Bob and Sue who are going to collect seashells the rest of their life. Where Thelma and Louise went and served to the point of where they died. And God's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But when Bobby Joe and Susie Q come up and it's like, oh, what'd you do? Oh, it's a nice shell collection you got there. He's saying, don't waste your life. Like, God is not done with you now yet. He's not done with you yet. He can redeem the things in you that he needs to redeem. You have purpose. Like, don't waste your life. Like, he's worthy. He's worth it. So we just have to surrender to his will and not my will. Man, isn't he worth following? Don't you love coming here and hearing that you need to die every week? You know, I, I, I need to hear that. Like, I, I'm preaching to myself. Like, Rob, Jesus is worth it, man. He's worth it. He's worth all of your life. So we're going to worship, we're going to respond, and we're going to sing, and we're going to remember, man, that he's worth it. And my prayer um, for you, and I'll pray in just a minute, is it is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. 
I'm not saying that this is willy-nilly or that we'll just get it, but I'm saying that at least being honest about it is, is helpful. Like, Lord, you may not even know what your biggest struggle is and what you're valuing more than Jesus, but, but he does. And so we just offer that to him. We're like, Lord, surrender. This is a time of surrender. Like, Lord, have your way in me. Have your will be done in my life. Because I'm telling you, it's better. Jesus is better. So let me pray, and then we'll worship just a little bit more together. God, thank you for, for being a God that's real, that knows us, that loves us, or that you have a plan for us, that you can take uh, broken pieces and put them together and make a beautiful mosaic. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace, that we need your grace, God, every day. Because our tendency is to run from you, not to you. Our tendency is to run to what makes us happy, not what makes you happy. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just rest in your grace, knowing that you are starting this in us and you are going to finish it. And so, Lord, I pray for our people. Bless them this morning. Lord, reveal things in our hearts. Lord, we come to you with open hands and we want to surrender to you. You are worthy of our worship, Lord. And Lord, this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.